Hi, everybody. Carla here with another episode of Classic Literature for your listening pleasure, maybe for your class assignments and or for your general curiosity about this podcast. Welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Now, today I have for you from the Bard of Avon himself, William Shakespeare, who lived from 1564 to 1616, Romeo and Juliet. Now, Shakespeare was given that title of bard in recognition of his stature as quote-unquote great poet. He was unofficially the national poet of England, and as the 12th century progressed, long before he was born, he became inextricably identified with that title, Bard. Now, this is from nosweatshakespeare.com. Now, another website, freelancewriting.com, says that the term Bard was coined by an individual writer by the name by the name of Lucan. It says that writers and poets of the first century were called bards. Yet another website says that an actor by the name of David Garrick was the very first to call Shakespeare the bard in a poem that Garrick wrote in the 18th century in 1769. So I will leave it to the scholars on that issue. Now, as for my approach to presenting this reading of Romeo and Juliet, I will keep it very simple. What you will hear first is an introduction of the characters. I'll give a bit of a bio on each of them so that you better understand their motives as the play progresses. Now, if you're already familiar with the play and you know it well, please feel free to skip that part. Now, what you will also hear is each individual act and scene of the play, followed by a very brief analysis of each act and scene. Again, if that part is of no interest to you, please skip that part and advance to the next act and scene. That said, thank you again for joining me here at Carla Reads the Classics. Please see the episode details for how to subscribe to the podcast and or how to leave a tip of appreciation if my time and effort has had some measure of value to you. So now let's enjoy this amazing classic together here at Carla Reads the Classics. Please stay tuned. According to the website www.bl.uk, Romeo and Juliet was written sometime between the period of 1591 and 1596. Based on Shakespeare's writing style in this play, that's as close to an exact date as scholars can say. Now, the following are the characters of the play as I read from No Fear Shakespeare by Spark Publishing, 2003. First, we have Romeo. He is the son and heir of Montague and Lady Montague. A young man of about 16, Romeo is handsome, intelligent, and sensitive. Though impulsive and immature, his idealism and passion make him an extremely likable character. He lives in the middle of a violent feud between his family and the Capulets, but he is not at all interested in violence. His only interest is love, and he goes to extremes to prove the seriousness of his feelings. He secretly marries Juliet, the daughter of his father's worst enemy. He happily takes abuse from Tybalt, and he would rather die than live without his beloved. Romeo is also an affectionate and devoted friend to his relative Benvolio, to Mercutio, and to Friar Lawrence. Juliet. Juliet is the daughter of Capulet and Lady Capulet. A beautiful 13-year-old girl, Juliet begins to play as a naive child who has thought little about love and marriage, but 
she grows up quickly upon falling in love with Romeo, the son of her family's great enemy. Because she is a girl in the aristocratic family, she has none of the freedom Romeo has to roam around the city, climb over walls in the middle of the night, or get into sword fights. Nevertheless, she shows amazing courage in trusting her entire life and future to Romeo, even refusing to believe the worst reports about him after he gets involved in a fight with her cousin. Juliet's closest friend and confidant is her nurse, though she's willing to shut the nurse out of her life the moment the nurse turns against Romeo. Friar Lawrence, a Franciscan friar, friend to both Romeo and Juliet. He's kind, civic-minded, a proponent of moderation, and always ready with the plan. Friar Lawrence secretly marries the impassioned lovers in hopes that the union might eventually bring peace to Verona. As well as being a Catholic holy man, Friar Lawrence is also an expert in the use of seemingly mystical potions and herbs. Mercutio a kinsman to the prince and Romeo's close friend, one of the most extraordinary characters in all of Shakespeare's plays, Mercutio overflows with imagination, wit, and at times a strange biting satire and brooding fervor. Mercutio loves wordplay, especially sexual double entendres. He can be quite hot-headed and hates people who are affected pretentious, or obsessed with the latest fashions. He finds Romeo's romanticized ideas about love tiresome and tries to convince Romeo to view love as a simple matter of sexual appetite. The nurse, Juliet's nurse, the woman who breastfed Juliet when she was a baby and has cared for Juliet her entire life, a vulgar, long-winded, and sentimental character, the, the nurse provides comic relief with her frequently inappropriate remarks and speeches, but until a disagreement near the play's end, the nurse is Juliet's faithful confidant and loyal intermediary in Juliet's affair with Romeo. She provides a contrast with Juliet, given that her view of love is earthy and sexual, whereas Juliet is idealistic and intense. The nurse believes in love and wants Juliet to have a nice-looking husband, but the idea that Juliet would want to sacrifice herself for love is incomprehensible to her. Tybalt. He's a Capulet. He's Juliet's cousin on her mother's side. He's vain, fashionable, supremely aware of courtesy and the lack of it. He becomes aggressive, violent, and quick to draw his sword when he feels his pride has been injured. Once drawn, his sword is something to be feared. He loathes Montagues. Capulet the patriarch of the Capulet family, father of Juliet, husband of Lady Capulet, and enemy for unexplained reasons of Montague. He truly loves his daughter, though he is not well acquainted with Juliet's thoughts or feelings and seems to think that what is best for her is a good match with Paris. Often prudent, he commands respect and propriety, but he is liable to fly into a rage when either is lacking. Lady Capulet, this is Juliet's mother, Capulet's wife, a woman who herself married young. By her own estimation, she gave birth to Juliet at close to the age of 14. She is eager to see her daughter marry Paris. She is an ineffectual mother relying on the nurse for moral and pragmatic support. 
Montague, this is Romeo's Romeo's father, the patriarch of the Montague clan and the bitter enemy of Capulet. At the beginning of the play, he is chiefly concerned about Romeo's melancholy. Lady Montague, this is Romeo's mother, Montague's wife. She dies of grief after Romeo is is exiled from Verona. Paris, a kinsman of the prince and the suitor of Juliet, most preferred by Capulet. Once Capulet has promised him he can marry Juliet, he behaves very presumptuous toward acting as if they are already married. Benvolio, Montague's nephew, Romeo's cousin and thoughtful friend, he makes a genuine effort to diffuse violent scenes in public places, though Mercutio accuses him of having a nasty temper and private. He spends most of the play trying to help Romeo get his mind off Rosaline, even after Romeo has fallen in love with Juliet. Prince Aeschylus, the Prince of Arona, a kinsman of Mercutio and Paris. As the seat of political power in Verona, he is concerned about maintaining the public peace at all costs. Friar John, a Franciscan friar charged by Friar Lawrence with taking the news of Juliet's false death to Romeo in Mantua. Friar John is held up in a quarantined house and the message never reaches Romeo. Balthazar, Romeo's dedicated servant who brings Romeo the news of Juliet's death, unaware that her death is a ruse. Samson and Gregory, these are the two servants of the House of Capulet, who, like their master, they hate the Montagues. At the outset of the play, they successfully provoke some Montague men into a fight. Abraham, Montague's servant, who fights with Samson and Gregory in the first scene of the play. The apothecary, an apothecary and Mantua, Had he been wealthier, he might have been able to afford to value his morals more than money and refuse to sell poison to Romeo. Peter, a Capulet servant who invites guests to Capulet's feast and escorts the nurse to meet with Romeo. He is illiterate and a bad singer. Rosaline, the woman with whom Romeo is infatuated at the beginning of the play. Rosaline never appears on stage, but it is said by other characters that she is very beautiful and has sworn to live a life of chastity. The Chorus. The Chorus is a single character who functions as a narrator, offering commentary on the play's plot and themes. Please stay tuned for the prologue. The Prologue. Enter Chorus. Chorus. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured Piteous overthrows doth with their death bury their parents' strife. The fearful passage of their death marked love and the continuance of their parents' rage, which but their children's end naught could remove, is now the two hours' traffic of our stage, the which, if you with patient ears attend, what here shall miss our toil shall strive to mend. Exit. 
Act One, Scene One. Enter Samson and Gregory of the House of Capulet with swords and bucklers. Samson, Gregory, on my word, will not carry coals. Gregory, no, for then we should be colliers. Samson, I mean, and we be in collar, we'll draw. Gregory, aye, while you live, draw your neck out of the collar. Samson, I strike quickly being moved. Gregory, but thou art not moved to strike. Samson, a dog of the house of Montague moves me. Gregory, to move is to stir, and to be valiant is to stand. Therefore, if thou art moved, thou runst away. Samson, a dog of that house shall move me to stand. I will take the wall of any man or maid of Montague's. Gregory, that shows thee a weak slave, for the weakest goes to the wall. Samson, tis true, and therefore women, being the weaker vessel, are ever thrust to the wall. Therefore I will push Montague's men from the wall and thrust his maids to the wall. Gregory, the quarrel is between our masters and us their men. Samson, tis all one. I will show myself a tyrant. When I have fought with the men, I will be civil with the maids. I will cut off their heads. Gregory, the heads of maids? Samson, aye, the heads of the maids and their maiden heads. Take it in what sense thou wilt. Gregory, they must take it in sense that feel it. Samson, me they shall feel while I am able to stand, and tis known I am a pretty piece of flesh. Gregory, tis well thou art not fish. If thou hadst, thou hadst been poor John. Enter Abram and another serving man. Draw thy tool, here comes of the house of Montagues. Samson, my naked weapon is out. Quarrel, I will back thee. Gregory, how, turn thy back and run? Samson, fear me not. Gregory, no, Mary, I fear thee. Samson, let us take the law of our sides. Let them begin. Gregory, I will frown as I pass by and let them take it as they list. Samson, nay, as they dare, I will bite my thumb at them, which is a disgrace to them if they bear it. He bites his thumb. Abram, do you bite your thumb at us, sir? Samson, I do bite my thumb, sir. Abram, do you bite your thumb at us, sir? Samson, as an aside to Gregory, is the law of our side if I say I? Gregory, as an aside to Samson, no. Samson, no, sir, I do not bite my thumb at you, sir, but I bite my thumb, sir. Gregory, do you quarrel, sir? Abram, quarrel, sir? No, sir. Samson, but if you do, sir, I am for you. I serve as good a man as you. Abram, no better. Samson, well, sir. Enter Benvolio. Gregory, aside to Samson, say better. Here comes one of my master's kinsmen. Samson to Abram. Yes, better, sir. Abram, you lie. Samson, draw if you be men. Gregory, remember thy washing blow. They fight. Benvolio draws his sword. Part, fools. Put up your swords. You know not what you do. Enter Tybalt. Tybalt. What, art thou drawn among these heartless hinds? Turn thee, Benvolio, look upon thy death. Benvolio, 
I do but keep the peace. Put up thy sword or manage it to part these men with me. Tybalt, what, drawn and talk of peace? I hate the word as I hate hell, all Montagues and thee. Have that thee, coward. They fight. Enter three or four citizens with clubs or partisans. Citizens, clubs, bills, and partisans, strike, beat them down. Down with the Capulets, down with the Montagues. Enter old Capulet in his gown and his wife, Lady Capulet. Capulet, what noise is this? Give me my long sword, ho! Lady Capulet, a crutch, a crutch. Why call you for a sword? Enter old Montague and his wife, Lady Montague. Capulet, my sword, I say, old Montague has come and flourishes his blade in spite of me. Montague. Thou villain Capulet, hold me not, let me go. Lady Montague, thou shalt not stir one foot to seek a foe. Enter Prince Aeschylus with his train. Prince, rebellious subjects, enemies to peace, profaners of this neighbor stained steel. Will they not hear? What ho, you men, you beasts that quench the fire of your pernicious rage with purple fountains issuing from your veins on pain of torture from those whose bloody hands throw your mistempered weapons to the ground and hear the sentence of your moved prince. Three civil brawls, bred of an airy word by thee, old Capulet and Montague, have thrice disturbed the quiet of our streets and made Verona's ancient citizens cast by their grave-beseeming ornaments to wield old partisans in hands as old, cankered with peace to part your cankered hate. If ever you disturb our streets again, your lives shall pay the forfeit of the peace. For this time, all the rest depart away. You, Capulet, shall go along with me, and Montague, come you this afternoon to know our further pleasure in this case, to old Freetown, our common judgment place. Once more, on pain of death, all men, depart! Exuant all but Montague, Lady Montague, and Benvolio. Montague, who set this ancient quarrel a new brooch? Speak, nephew. Were you by when it began? Benvolio. Here were the servants of your adversary and yours, close fighting ere I did approach. I drew to part them. In an instant came the fiery Tybalt with his sword prepared, which, as he breathed defiance to my ears, he swung about his head and cut the winds, who, nothing hurt withal, hissed him in scorn. While we were interchanging thrusts and blows, came more and more and fought on our part, and till the prince came, who parted either part. Lady Montague, oh, where is Romeo? Saw you him today? Right glad I am he was not at this fray. Benvolio, madam, an hour before the worshipped sun peered forth the golden window of the east, a troubled mind drove me to walk abroad, where, underneath the grove of sycamore, that westward rooteth from the city side, so early walking, I did see your son. Towards him I made, but he was ware of me, and stole into the covert of the wood. I, measuring his affections by my own, which then most sought were, were most might not be found, being one too many by weary myself, pursued my humor not pursuing his, 
and gladly shun to gladly fled from me. Montague, many a morning hath he been seen there with tears augmenting the fresh morning's dew, adding to clouds more clouds with his deep sighs, but all so soon as all the cheering sun should be in the farthest east begin to draw, the shady curtains from Aurora's bed away from light steals home my heavy sun. And private in his chamber, pens himself, shut up his windows, locks fair daylight out, and makes himself an artificial night. Black and portentous must this humor prove, unless good counsel may the cause remove. Benvolio, my noble uncle, do you know the cause? Montague, I neither know it nor can learn of him. Have you importuned him by any means? Montague, both by myself and many other friends, but he, his own affections counselor, is to himself, I will not say how true, but to himself so secret and so close, so far from sounding and discovery as is the bud bit with the envious worm, ere he can spread his sweet leaves to the air or dedicate his beauty to the same. Could we but learn from whence his sorrows grow, we would as willingly give cure as no. Enter Romeo. Benvolio, see where he comes, so please you step aside. I'll know his grievance or be much denied. Montague, I would, th I would thou wert so happy by thy stay to hear true shrift. Come, madam, let's away. Exuant Montague and Lady Montague. Benvolio, good morrow, cousin. Romeo, is the day so young? Benvolio, but new struck nine. Romeo, I me, sad hours seem long. Was that my father that went, that went hen so fast? Benvolio, it was. What sadness lengthens Romeo's hours? Romeo, not having that which having makes them short. Benvolio, in love? Romeo, out. Benvolio, of love? Romeo, out of her favor, where I am in love. Benvolio, alas, that love so gentle in his view should be so tyrannous and rough in proof. Romeo, alas, that love whose view is, miffled, is muffled still should without eye see pathways to his will. Where shall we dine? Oh, me, what fray was here? Yet tell me not, for I have heard it all. Here's much to do with hate, but more with love. Why then, O oh, brawling love, O oh, brawling hate, O oh, anything of nothing first created, O oh, heavy lightness, serious vanity, misshapen chaos of well-seeming forms, feather of lead, bright smoke, cold fire, sick health, still waking sleep. That is not what it is. This love feel I, that feel no love in this. Dost thou not laugh? Benvolio, no cause, I, I rather weep. Romeo, good heart, at what? Benvolio, at thy good heart's oppression. Romeo, why, such is love's transgression. Griefs of mine, griefs of mine own, lie heavy in my breast, which thou wilt propagate to have it pressed with more of thine. 
This love thou hast shown doth add more grief to too much of mine own. Love is a smoke raised with the fume of sighs, being purged, a fire sparkling and lover's eyes, being vexed, a sea nourished with loving tears. What is it else? A madness most discreet, a choking gall, and a preserving sweet. Farewell, my cuz. Benvolio. Soft, I will go along, and if you leave me so, you do me wrong. Romeo. Tut, I have lost myself. I am not here. This is not Romeo. He's some other where. Benvolio. Tell me in sadness, who is it that you love? Romeo. What, shall I groan and tell thee? Groan, why no, but sadly tell me who? Romeo. A sick man in sadness makes his will. A word will urge the one that is so ill. In madness, in sadness, cousin, I do love a woman. Benvolio. I aim so near when I supposed you loved. Romeo. A right good marksman. And she's fair, I love. Benvolio. A right fair mark, fair cause, is soonest hit. Romeo. Well, and that hit you miss. She'll not be hit with Cupid's arrow. She hath Dian's wit, and in strong proof of chastity, well armed from love's weak childish bow, she lives uncharmed. She will not stay the siege of loving terms, nor bide the encounter of assailing eyes, nor ope her lap to saint-seducing gold. Oh, she is rich in beauty, only poor, that when she dies, with beauty dies her store. Benvolio. Then she hath sworn that she will still live, live chaste? Romeo, she hath, and in that sparing makes huge waste, for beauty starved with her severity cuts beauty off from all posterity. She is too fair, too wise, wisely too fair to merit bliss by making me despair. She hath forsworn to love, and in that vow do I live dead that I live to tell it now. Benvolio. Be ruled by me. Forget to think of her. Romeo. Oh, teach me how I should forget to think. Benvolio. By giving liberty unto thine eyes, examine other beauties. Romeo. Tis the way to call her exquisite and question more. These happy masks that kiss fair ladies' brows, being black, puts us in mind they hide the fair. He that is struck and blind cannot forget the precious treasure of his eyesight lost. Show me a mistress that is passing fair. What doth her beauty serve but as a note where I may where I may read who passed that passing fair? Farewell, thou, thou canst not teach me to forget. Benvolio, I'll pay that doctrine or else I'll die in debt. And that is the end of Act 1, Scene 1. Please pardon my reading flubs. Thank you so much for joining me. On to Act 1, Scene 2. And here now is a quick summary of what you've just heard, Act 1 and Scene 1. Uh, Samson and Gregory, if you recall, these are servants of the House of Capulet. And as such, they are always at the ready to fight Abram and the other servant of the House of Montague. Samson is even up to raping their maids and cutting off their heads. Very, very violent thinking guy. So when they see Abram and the other Montague servant, they, they want to fight them, but they want to 
slyly provoke them to strike first because they want to obey the law. And the way they want to slyly provoke this fight is by having Samson bite his thumb, which is a gesture of disrespect. Well, the fight begins and Benvolio, he pulls his sword. And if you remember, Benvolio is Montague's nephew. And Benvolio just wants to stop the fight. Uh, and then Tybalt enters and tells him that, you know, those guys really aren't worth it. But the fight continues anyway. And then a few more citizens show up and join the fray. And then uh, Capulet and Montague actually show up and they want to fight too, but their wives stop them. Lady Capulet tells her husband that he can't fight because he needs a crutch and he can't even handle a sword. And Lady Montague tells her husband that he's not going anywhere near that chaos. So then we have Prince Aeschylus who enters the scene and he is the political power of Verona. He wants to keep the peace. So he yells at the crowd and threatens to torture them if they don't drop their swords and disperse. He, he tells Capulet to come with him. And then he tells Montague that he wants him to show up later at the court so that he can talk to him. Again, he tells everyone to disperse or he'll have them killed. So then Benvolio explains everything that happens to Montague about how all the fight started. And they end up discussing Romeo and his strange behavior as of late. He's shutting himself off from everyone. He's in his room and he's not really talking to anyone. And Montague wants to help his son, but he doesn't know how. He doesn't know what's wrong with Romeo. And Benvolio tells him not to worry, that he will get to the bottom of what's bothering Romeo. So Benvolio has a talk with Romeo, and he finds out that Romeo is in love with a beautiful woman who doesn't return his affections, and she's committed to remaining a virgin. Well, Benvolio tells him to forget her and to pursue other women, but Romeo is so far gone. He says that there is no one like her and there never will be anyone like her. And uh, Benvolio tells him that he will help him to forget. So that's a quick summary of Act One, Scene One of Romeo and Juliet. Thank you guys so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. Until next time.